We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Welcome to the Run ATL Podcast. We are coming to you from the capital of the South. My name is Mike Cosentino. I am your host. I am not alone once again. I am with my dear friend, the co-host, your friend as well, Dolomite Dave Martinez, D2. What a thrill, literally, figuratively, and wholly, this will be as we talk to an extreme athlete today. Oh yeah, I'm excited to be here. The uh, yeah, the interview we had was uh, it. it it kind of uh, reminded me a lot of, uh, you know, even 10, 20, well, not maybe 20 years ago, but maybe 15 years ago of uh, when I was kind of doing adventure racing and, and first got into this, you know, sort of ultra endurance type of uh, activity. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about our guest today. So there is your teaser. You will wait no longer. Here is what you need to know. Our featured conversation today is with Marshall Ulrich. He is coming to Atlanta next month with absolutely no apology. This is intended to preview what we hope you will see and hear and feel in person with us on October 24th. Here are the details. We're going to give them to you right now. We'll give them to you again and again throughout this episode. But the good fortune we had to sit down with Marshall Ulrich is because of the fact that journeys and extremes around the world which very much will be an evening with extreme endurance athlete like no other, Marshall Ulrich. It is coming to Marietta, Georgia on October 24th. It'll be at 7 p.m. It will be at the Strand Theater. For those of you who are not familiar with the Strand Theater, a recent and very historic renovation has taken place. The proceeds from the ticket sales will help this theater maintain a look, a feel, and all of the accommodations that have been in place for so very long. So for a good cause, we had a chance to sit down with this very unique and very, very accomplished individual. You're going to get a bit of insight into some of the things he's done through this conversation, but it will not touch nearly as deeply as what you will get the chance to hear and experience on October 24th. Again, that's at 7 p.m. on October 24th at the Strand Theater. It will be a full audio and visual presentation that Marshall will bring with him. Obviously, the seating, super comfortable, the accommodations out of this world. For those of you who have been to the Strand Theater before, you already know what you're getting into. This is going to whet your appetite. The stories, D2, that Marshall can tell, the experiences that he's had, man, in some instances, I'm so envious. In others, zero interest, but I love hearing about it because he's done it. I don't have interest in doing it, but it's so cool to hear all about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, by the time this episode airs, because obviously we are, you know, pre-taping it, I'm taking a little adventure of my own. Yes, you are. So by the time this airs, I'm going to be somewhere in North Georgia, Tennessee, Western North Carolina. I'm taking a week-long road trip where I'm going to be trail running, mountain biking, road biking, and just exploring, you know, somewhere in the north, you know, just in the southeast area, just north Georgia, you know, north of where we can Very live. envious. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a break that I think, you know, partially inspired by individuals of, of things like Marshall has done and others that I've like going you know, I want to experience that. You know, I want to go out and just really kind of explore and and go on an adventure. You're taking your running shoes, you're taking your Jeep, you're taking your bikes, and you are just getting after it. I'm so proud of you for doing so. We're going to miss you while you were gone. You will not miss a heartbeat on the Run ATL podcast, but you will have many stories when you get back. Marshall is an expert storyteller because he has so much good content. Recently spoke with a friend of mine who did this year's Leadville 100. He reminded me of a story of my own. I'm going to quickly recount this to set the stage 
for how extreme adventures when they're setting in places that maybe we do not get to are so much fun to hear all about D2. I am coming over Hope Pass, well over 10,000 feet for the second time. My crew did not arrive to Denver International Airport until after 2 a.m. the night before the race started. It was a 4 a.m. race start. For those of you who have not heard or perhaps considered the Leadville race, it is a 100-mile race throughout the Colorado mountains, most of it above 10,000 feet. Had the good fortune of doing that race a number of years ago. And as I'm coming up and over Hope Pass for the second time with literally no sleep in 45 plus hours and more than 60 miles in the rear view, I saw what I thought was this collection of new friends of mine. There were these furry green chickens on the trail with me. And they were gathered around my feet. They were keeping pace with me. My pace was not particularly <laughs> rapid at that point. And there they were. And I'm like, oh, hey, little buddies. It is so good to have you here on this part of the course. And away I went. And I was convinced those furry green chickens were going to join me the rest of the way. It was only at the next aid station when they were gone and someone clued me into the fact that I was hallucinating, that Colorado has no such thing as a furry green chicken, and that I better get my act together if they were gonna clear me to continue. Obviously, they did with a little bit of hydration and perhaps a lot of broth. I was on my way, and I've never seen the furry green chickens since. Maybe happily for me, but I tell you that because stories make why we live this pedestrian active lifestyle and stories will make this conversation so cool to talk to Marshall. I hope you're already making plans for October 24th at 7 p.m. at the Strand Theater. If you've not yet figured out whether your calendar allows for such, tune in right after this break while you check your calendar because you will not want to miss this. After the break, our conversation with Marshall Ulrich. You've got the right shoe for you, but maybe you're still getting blisters and your feet aren't too happy. The source of your discomfort may be the socks you're wearing. Cotton is rotten. You need socks made from synthetic materials that wick away the moisture that can lead to blisters. Big Peach Running Company carries a variety of styles and brands, including Features, Balega, Swiftwick, and Injinji. Every sock is buy three, get one free. Mix and match brands and styles, it doesn't matter. You'll save 25% when you pick up four pairs of socks. Keep your feet happy and stock up on socks at Big Peach Running Company. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. In our intro, D2 and I said that this was going to be an adventure. And why would we not say that given the fact that an adventure has to make you think of Marshall Ulrich, and he is on the phone with us right now. What a treat this is. Marshall, thank you so much for being part of the fun this afternoon. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, being on the Big Peach podcast. It's wonderful to, to talk to you guys. Well, it is our pleasure, and you're not only going to be on this podcast, of course, as we mentioned in that introduction, you are going to be in our fair city in October. And one of the things that we wanted to do unapologetically was kind of set the stage for that evening, but also give everyone a real taste of what accomplishment looks like. And I know you would be the first marshal to say, well, not everyone has to set out and do the things that I've done or declare for tomorrow to be the day they cross the entire United States or climb a summit of one of the tallest places on any continent. But these are the types of things you've done alongside inspiring and motivating athletes of every shape, size, and age for decades now. But as we get started with this conversation, would you be kind enough to let us know what at the onset of what now is a storied career of accomplishment got you started? And my follow-up, just to give you a sense of where we're going, is going to be what drives you today. But before we get there, what was it like at the beginning? What does a budding ultra marathoner, adventure racer, mountaineer have in his background that you still remember as now you can look back at so much that you've done? 
Well, I I think a lot of it had to do, and I I, I think you know I I do have a book, and I'm sure you'll mention that it's called Running on Empty. But uh, I was very troubled, to, uh, and that's why I started running because my first wife, uh, 28 years old, got cancer, and so I started running. Uh, at 28 years old to deal with blood pressure. So that was sort of the impetus for me. Um, but I can remember way back running a 5K and thinking to myself, boy, I don't know if I'm going to be running next year or the year after or whatever. And I just felt so um, – I, I felt such gratitude to be able to just be out in the outdoors and be healthy and live a lifestyle that uh, had some activity in it. And I thought to myself, too, I had this vision of where it would take me. And I thought to myself, you know, if I was good enough at this, it's possible that maybe I might get paid to go different places around the world and do different things. And sure enough, that came to fruition, but uh, it took me quite a while to do that. So I went from 5Ks to marathons uh, into ultramarathoning back in the early 80s and then in the 90s, doing the adventure racing, and in 2000, started doing the Seven Summits and Mountaineering. So there was a progression for it, but I think it had to do with, you know, trying to prove something to myself, modeling for other people that they can do more than they think they can, and, you know, just just having a good ethical code that you want to pass along to other people, and that was the venue for me. Well, and, and you mentioned your book, and for sure we'll put a link in our show notes to Running on Empty, and you are very transparent in that manuscript where it was from a sense of loss. We've had people on this podcast whose running routine, although not nearly as extreme or as accomplished perhaps as yours, that it was born out of heartache, it was born out of addiction, it was born out of a self-awareness that they had to fully confront. And here we are with that same genesis once again. And now as you look back over 30 years, and of course I'm going to also tap into some of those things you mentioned so you can talk a little bit about the mountaineering, so you can talk a little bit about some of those ultra marathons and even self-designed accomplishments that you've had. But before we do that, what drives you today? There's very little in the world of adventuring and extreme sport and mountaineering and these things that you've done that it seems like is still likely new to you. Yet your passion for it and your drive to keep doing it seems just as insatiable as what it was 30 years ago. So what drives you today? Yeah, so I, I think it's you know, it's part of who I am. So uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. You know, I would probably lose my identity if I stopped running and I wouldn't know what to do with myself. But I think more than anything, it's always been kind of a creative process for me. So, uh, you know, that might mean initially running a 50 or 100 miler or even a 10K. But then um, I've tried to, there was about 13, 14 years where I try and do something that nobody else had done. And some people would say, oh, it can't be done this or it can't be done that. Other people would come to me with suggestions. And so it was almost and still is a creative process. So I'm always looking for something new to accomplish, even though uh, you know I go a lot slower than I used to, most certainly. <laughs> it takes me almost twice as much time to cover the same amount of ground. Uh, but that's what keeps me entertained, just that passion for doing other things that are just out of the ordinary. Well, one of the things I thought about when I was looking over my notes and, and what I think is so encouraging for people, maybe especially people who know someone who would love to see them change, maybe just a little bit. They care about them so much, and yet perhaps whether it's their fitness or their health or just their general well-being isn't where they believe it could be. And my notes seem to suggest that perhaps at 20 or 25, you were not nearly as driven or committed to this as what you are now at 65 plus. And that if there is someone out there who believes, well, if you don't set the stage to be a hyper-competitive or hyper-driven athlete or individual long before you get into your 30s or 40s, then it just doesn't happen. You seem to be 
very much evidence that that's not true. It may come to you in your 30s or 40s, and it doesn't go away as you get into your 50s and 60s. Would you say there's some accuracy there? Oh, there absolutely is. You know, a person comes to mind uh, whom, you know, she's she's much older. She's probably 94, 95 years old now, Helen Klein, who really didn't start running until she was in her 50s or 60s and probably still does hold a lot of records. So, you know, number one, you know, and I can remember what she said also uh, in a conversation with her that uh, when she was in school and high school and things, running was the furthest thing from anyone's mind, especially for a female. So, uh, you know, she's uh, she's sort of the consummate uh, runner, the older runner. And, you know, at 67 years old, as I was saying, I don't go as fast, but uh, it's it's just I know it's good for me. And I would hope that it points other people in the direction that they can do it too at any age. And I intend to keep running as long as I can. And I have no idea how long that will be. Well, my guess is it is decades to come. And, and just as a reminder for everyone, Marshall will be Journeys and Extremes around the world. That's October 24th. It'll start at 7. Certainly, there'll be some activities beforehand at the Strand Theater in downtown Marietta on the square. Marshall, one of the things that you did and that is a term that we still hear to this day and immediately means something, even though it doesn't exist in the, in the same format, was the Eco Challenge. You were an early competitor and obviously successful participant. So take us back to that particular endeavor and what you might recall about the Eco Challenge and part of the cool factor that still now, so many years later, people can identify with. Yeah, it was an interesting time. That was back in 1995, and I had a fellow call me up, and he knew I had a reputation for doing long distances, and he said, hey, there's this adventure race, and I had to have him explain it to me because it was the first that was in the U.S., uh, and of course, Mark Burnett, uh, you know, of Survivor and The Apprentice and yep. all of those things was behind it, but uh, I talked to him for about 15, 20 minutes, and I'm kind of impulsive anyhow and looking for challenges, and he said, do you want to be on the team? I said, sure, absolutely, I want to be on the team. So when we got out there, uh, you know, and we're doing this 350, 400-mile race, uh, which involves all sorts of disciplines in the canyons of Utah, we we really didn't know a lot about how to go about it. And so, you know, our packs were too heavy and uh, we were ill-prepared, if you will, uh, you know, you have to be totally self-sufficient, but it was just really a neat thing, and I hadn't experienced that team effort because at that time you had five on the team, including one woman, and so it was a whole new dynamic, and I just loved it because everybody was out there supporting each other on the team as well as other teams because it was very tough to get through some of those um, you know, the finish rate was very typically 50% or less, uh, so it was a difficult thing. And incidentally, Mike, uh, Mark Burnett, I just got word that he is bringing back the Eco Challenge with Bear Grylls as a host. Wow, I had not heard that. That is very yeah. cool. That's awesome yep. to share that here. Yep. I don't know if that's public knowledge yet or not, but if it is, we will absolutely put that in our show notes as well. How about that, D2? Because I will say that that was one of those shows in one of those terms that drove me and, and Marshall as an introduction to both Dave and I, you know, we have a very kindred spirit where we also are practitioners for better or worse on some days of ultra marathoning and Ironman and all those other things that would suggest that there are those days you wonder, what am I doing? But Eco Challenge was one of those things that just had this cool factor for me that suggested that maybe that won't ever happen. But there are certain things that could if I get out there and, and stay with it. So yeah, look, I have to ask this, maybe as a personal curiosity, as Mark and some of his productions took on maybe a life of their own, I think there are those who would suggest that they're a little bit more fabricated or perhaps a little bit more drama or Hollywood. Is that true or was that true for Eco Challenge in terms of what you were doing, what you needed to do? And then what the finished product might have looked like. 
Yeah, no, it was, uh, there was no scripting to it. It was just uh, hands off. Sometimes you'd have a video uh, photographer that was out there following you or something, or, you know, they'd do a, an overview with a overshot with a helicopter or whatever. But no, you were out there. There was no help afforded you. And um, if something went wrong, one person was put out for any reason, then the whole team was out. So it was, uh, you know, we, we chuckle at the, um, uh, the survivor and things like that because it's, it, you know, truly, believe me, that's scripted. <laughs> I think you can tell that for sure. But this, this was kind of the real deal, and, you know, I'm anxious to uh, explore that. And I've contacted some of my old buddies who I raced, uh, you know, almost all of the eco-challenges with. And what we intend to do is put a team together of all over 60 years old. And incidentally, uh, the last eco-challenge that we did that was in Fiji – uh, we were the oldest team, and we were all in our 50s. <laughs> and now you're coming back. to getting the band back together. That's right. That is awesome. Well, I hope we have the good fortune of talking to you before you depart for that as well. In the meantime, as we mentioned, it'll be you coming to Marietta. Probably won't look much like Fiji, but we won't require nearly as much of you once you get here as what the Eco Challenge will when you get there. So let's talk a little bit about this fascination you must have with Death Valley and maybe specifically as an event with Badwater. Many of our listeners are familiar with that term. Certainly, Dave and I do what we can to make them more familiar with the event and the pursuit. Our show notes will back that up. But you've done this event that we'll refer to almost 20 times. You've done a quad, which I'm going to let you walk everyone through what that was like. You've done it entirely self-sufficient with what looks like the heaviest backwards jog stroller I've ever seen attached to a human body. And you've done a number of other things in and around the national park that is Death Valley. Is that a personal fascination? You're in Evergreen, Colorado today. We are here in the Southeast where the humidity is over 90%. And yet not Atlanta nor Evergreen, Colorado have anything on Death Valley when it comes to extremes. What is it about that place in our beautiful, wonderful country that keeps drawing you back? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the people. You have crew out there. You have other people participating, and I've known some of those people literally for decades. So I go back because it's like being reunited with family. So that's the the main impetus for it. Uh, but I've always thought of Badwater as being sort of the uh, catch-all that ends all in that, uh, you know, you've got road if you go to the top. And all 20 times that I've finished, I've, I've gone to the top, which is the full 146 miles. So you've got altitude, you've got trail, you've got heat, you've got cold. One year I did it, and there was a 99-degree differential in temperature. So I think it's a real man's race, and it's got the distance, you know, which is a – 135 if you do the race and if you go to the top 146 and then you got to come down that 11 miles too so uh you know i think it's a real man's race so uh and as i had mentioned it's part of that creative process too what can i do that nobody else has done and take for instance the solo that where i had everything that i needed and i was self-contained i had 22 gallons of water that i was packing behind me um, it was one of those things where I did it on a dare. Somebody said, you can't do that. You can't go all the way across Death Valley in that heat in July and um, then proceed to go to the top of Whitney. It, it just can't be done. It was an engineer, and he calculated things out, and I thought, well, you know, we'll give it a shot. So in uh, the same thing with uh, the quad where, you know, I was I was doing – you know, there were people who had done doubles, and one fella had even done a triple, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm going to go out and try and do four of them in a row, and I pretty much paid for it. Uh, the first two were pretty easy. I did those in, I think, about 96 hours and change, and the last ones took me at least that much, if not more, and I had to run with um, 
ice bags on my legs because I had such bad runner's tendonitis for the last couple hundred miles. So, uh, you know, it's always a challenge out there. Uh, so there's that, and then there's also the circumnavigation that uh, a friend of mine, uh, he came to me and he said, let's do a circumnavigation of Death Valley. And I kind of set the parameters because he said, well, you know, let's let's do it in like April or something. I said, no, no, that's not that doesn't work. If you're going to do something out in Death Valley, it has to be that July, August window. So that was probably the most dangerous thing that I did. We buried 32 caches around the valley and we wove in and out of the parameter of the valley, uh, probably gaining 60, 70,000 feet because people think of Death Valley as being flat, but it's not. Um, and it was the most dangerous thing that I did, much more dangerous than um, Mount Everest because there was no help that you could get and things can happy, happen very quickly out there in the heat. So I look at that as the most dangerous thing that I've ever done. And I almost lost my life out there. If it wouldn't have been for Dave, my buddy who was with me, uh, bailing me out and uh, getting me up out of the Saline Valley, I would have been a goner. Well, that certainly <laughs> is the spirit of partnership. You take on something like that. But one of the numbers that you mentioned, Marsh, was 32 in terms of the different aid stations that I would refer to them as as self-stashed and somewhat of a treasure hunt, I suppose, because they were done beforehand. And of course, you had to recall or be able to find exactly where they were as your life literally depended on it. But I'm going to share a few more numbers with our audience, especially for those who are not nearly as familiar, not nearly as intimate with Death Valley and Badwater as what Marshall or some of our ultra marathoning listeners might be. When we talk about the Badwater Quad, just to be sure, that is a 586 mile jaunt. Self-sustained and all at once. Yes, I did say 586, so let that sink in, listenership. And when we talk about Mount Whitney, this is not just North Georgia or Western North Carolina. For those of us here in the southeast, Mount Whitney stands at 14,505 feet above sea level. And, of course, when you start in the Badwater Basin, Many people know that it's below sea level, 279 feet to be exact. So think about that. We oftentimes think about summoning a 10,000-foot peak in Colorado. Many times the summit doesn't begin at sea level. It begins at 7,400 or it begins at 8,200, and it's still an awesome accomplishment. But do the math when you start at less than zero and go to 14. Five and then do it multiple times. He also mentioned that circumnavigation of Death Valley. Here's another number for you. That was over 425 miles in less than 17 days. So those 32 self-created and stashed caches that Marshall refers to, that's just one statistic of many that are super impressive and very much unprecedented. You also mentioned, Marshall, that that was even more difficult and perhaps even more life-threatening than Everest. So you gave away the fact that when you're here in October, you'll have awesome stories to tell, whether it is below sea level or literally on the rooftop of the world. Let's talk about Everest. Let's talk a little bit about your mountaineering feats. Yes, this is the Ron ATL podcast, but we have no prejudice, and we love athletes and aspiring athletes of every kind. You've summited all seven of the tallest peaks on each continent. Starting with Everest, knowing we can't go through all of them, give us a story or something most of us will never, ever be able to see or even think about as it relates to that trek to the top of the world. Well, kind of an interesting and I guess funny story, if you will, but not so funny, it could have ended tragically, is I was doing my acclimatization hike from, say, 17,000 up to 23,000, which is intermediate base camp, and of course, 
you know, Mount Everest is at uh, 29. So you have to go up and down, up and down the mountain a little bit higher. And it takes usually a couple of months. So uh, I think it was the third time that I was coming up from base camp. You always go back down to rest, but you're, you're wanting to build red blood cells. So you keep going up and down and that's how you do it. And then uh, your body adjusts to the altitude where you don't get just terribly sick and get altitude sickness, hopefully. Well, anyhow, I was about 21,000 feet, and there's a torrid stream on the north side of Everest, which is the side that I did, the, the Tibetan side. And there's a torrid stream that was probably about three feet deep by, oh, it must have been eight or ten feet across and there were stones that you would hop across on big rocks if you will and so I was by myself and I should have been with my buddy uh, but I wasn't and I was doing an acclimatization hike and I hopped from one boulder to the other and the very last boulder that I stepped on gave way and so I was plunged into this torrential stream and up to about my waist, and I reached over to shore and grabbed a rock and pulled myself out. Uh, other than that, you know, this stream goes under like ice islands and things like that, so I would have been lost down the mountain. There's no no way that I would have survived. And do you, know, do you have any idea what I was thinking at that moment? I was <laughs> thinking to myself... I got to save myself because I don't want to be the first person who drowns on Mount Everest. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I I don't know what it's like. I don't think I'll ever know what it's like to be over 20,000 feet above sea level. What's the water temperature? Obviously unfrozen. There's still another 8,000 plus feet of elevation to go before you get to the top. So how fast and how cold is that water probably year round that you – fell in and then obviously was quite torrential and could have swept you away. Oh, I'd say it was 35, 40 degrees. And, uh, you know, another interesting story, there's yaks that carry things up to 21,000 feet for you, or 23,000, excuse me. And um, there's some pretty sharp sharp inclines that, that dip into this stream, and one of them fell over to the side. And you know what the guys do? They just go down and the the yak had broken its leg, and they skinned it on the spot, and we had it to eat that night. That is probably <laughs> indicative of a ultramarathoner endurance athlete's diet to some degree, that you take what you can get. Are there other things, given your world travels, given the fact that sometimes whatever is nearby has to be good enough, that you would say – you wouldn't put on your training table conventionally, but believe me, Marshall can validate that it works when necessary. Well, yeah, I think the the most interesting thing is you've got all these high tech diets, and um, here's here's what I'll say about the circumnavigation. We were very Dave Dave Heckman who did it with me. We were very particular about our diets and what we stuck in those caches, and so Dave went to a real high tech diets and powders and you know other things and I went to just like beef stews and freed dried foods and things like that and after about the second or third day we were and I overstocked we both overstocked on things but uh, I put about double what I needed in there but we we had pretty well switched over to just a conventional diet by the time that uh, we were headed around the, the back half of the the uh, the valley. So, yeah, it's just just basic food, anything you can get your hands on. And what I tell people is, you know, listen to your body. What it craves is what you gravitate toward, and you've got to satisfy that that uh, you know quench that that appetite for whatever it is that your body craves. It'll tell you. So whether it's guess fat is- or some a food with more fat with more protein. Take, for instance, on Mount Everest, what they were doing is carving, you know, fat off of uh, smoked fat off of it's a fat rind that we were eating. Uh, And so and just pure butter just tasted wonderful. So those those are just a couple of examples. You could eat a stick of butter and it was the most satisfying thing that you'd ever eaten. 
So, so you may know that Ted Turner calls Atlanta home has a restaurant chain that features buffalo meat in many of its recipes. I would want to think that yak tastes a lot like buffalo. Can you confirm or deny that? You're the first person I've ever spoken to that could indicate what yak tastes like. Please don't say just like chicken. No, it isn't like chicken and it isn't like buffalo. Buffalo is much more tender. Yaks, their diet is, you know, whatever they can find along the way, which isn't much. So uh, and so what they'll do is they'll – the um, chirpas will – have the yaks carry up their own food because when you get up higher, there's nothing. But their meat is more like eating beef jerky. It's stringy. It's doesn't have a lot of taste to it at all, and you have to just chew it to death to get. I kind of, I kind of compare it to celery. It almost takes more calories to chew it than what you get out of it. Well, there's an indication of some of the stories that are coming our way in October. He would say yak tastes a little yakky in his instance of consuming it. So six other summits to the top of the continent, obviously just a few of your mountaineering feats. If we continue down this path of mountaineering and successful summits, anything that you might lead us to in terms of stories or just these memorable moments on any of the other quests to get to the top of that particular continent, whether it be South America or whether it be Antarctica, anything else that you would give us as a primer or a teaser before we have you here in October on the mountaineering side of things? Well, yeah, I probably won't talk. I'll, I'll probably talk about Everest more than anything because we're going to be covering a lot of topics. But um, Mount Vincent is down in Antarctica and it's over 16,000 feet. And I can remember the group that we had put together, the team we put together included a dentist out of New York. And uh, some a day, it was probably 30 to 35 below with um, 40 mile an hour winds. So the wind chill was probably minus 80, maybe even less. So you had to cover everything up. If there was even a little strip in your baklava or something of skin that was exposed, it would turn black. So this dentist actually had frostbit his, you know, some of his toes and in particular, like a couple of his fingers, including one thumb and his nose. So two days later, everything turns coal black. And so he's walking around camp with a coal black nose and he did recover from it. But even more so, he was trying to figure out how to break this to his wife. So he got on the sat phone and I overheard his conversation. And what he said to his wife was, honey, when I get home and step off that plane, I'm going to look a little different. <laughs> well, and, and I would imagine that would be a career suicide for a dentist to cut off all his digits or lose them to frostbite. So I would think he would have looked a little bit different and perhaps been looking for a new occupation if they wouldn't have been able to get him all squared up. Yeah, well, he, di he did recover, as I was saying, but uh, I had thoughts of having this guy working in my mouth with a big old <laughs> black thumb. So, so we joked, we, believe me, we kidded him about it, and he was, uh, he was well aware of the consequences of it, and he was very relieved that things went well. That was the last mountain he ever climbed. So I wasn't necessarily going to bring this up, but you – built the perfect platform for me to do so. And that is you kind of launched what I might refer to as a preemptive strike on your own body where there may be some discoloration or discomfort from all of the things that you've elected to do. And that is I've heard that you've had all your toenails voluntarily removed so that you would not have them stand in the way of some of these successful feats. Is that true? Yeah, it was probably back in the early 90s, and, you know, I never really heard of, a, of the procedure of, you know, having your toenails removed other than if it was for, you know, some sort of a ingrown toenail or, you know, some other thing. But it, as you know, there's there's so many runners who lose their toes, and it's called black toe, of course, and I thought, you know, I've had enough of this, and it was just 
it was just more bothersome. Uh, you know, it was just an inconvenience. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have them removed. So, uh, that's part of the story. And I talk a little bit about this in my book, but, uh, what I did is I had a friend do it and he did it at a bargain rate. I think he charged me something like 500 bucks instead of $250 per toe. And, I asked him if he'd throw in a vasectomy on top of it for free, and he said, sure. <laughs> so I had it all done at once. I had a complete overhaul. So having your toenails removed, figuring out how to negotiate a better deal when you do so, even though your per-toe nail removal rate is pretty solid going in, that obviously gives indication that it's not just – your body that is doing all the work and taking on all of what it is that is in front of you. Your mind is always working as well, Marshall. We're going to talk about your book. Certainly, there are other things that people will learn about you that are very much driven from the mind or the heart. One of the things that I'm super proud to know from having learned more about your story is the amount of money that you've raised. Yes, this I'm sure it gives you a real sense of personal satisfaction. Be proud, not only of yourself, but your teammates, whether it's in the Eco Challenge or in a circumnavigation or even on a mountaineering adventure. But you've raised real money and made real impact. So outside of just the physical and notable accomplishments on the mountain or in the field, so to speak, what are some of the things that you just – are so, so satisfied in your own right to have done alongside the athleticism that you've displayed? Yeah, some of it is, of course, the uh, raising of funds. Uh, there was a particular group, it's called the Religious Teachers Filipini, and they help impoverished women around the world. And with, take for instance, the Everest climb with the quad, we were able to between those two probably raised seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. But the Everest climb in particular, we were able to build a clinic in Hamalmalo uh, Eritrea that uh, would serve mostly women that were having children. So they had a place to go to be taken care of. And I think it's like 13 or 15 beds. So um, we were able to, to build that facility uh, via the funds that were raised, things are a lot cheaper over there to build. But uh, it gives me a, you know, great sense of pride uh, to be able to do that, something like that. Well, and for everyone who has not yet checked out, the link we'll provide to the evening will be at the Strand Theater in Marietta on October 24th. That too is a fundraiser for some renovations for this historic building. Marshall is helping us do that. Such a special facility to those of us who have been in and around Atlanta for a long time, and his visit coincides with a fundraiser. Nothing you need to do exceptional. All you need to do is to purchase tickets. Of course, we'll have all the details in our show notes. In addition, you can purchase tickets in a variety of ways. Big Peach Running Company, each location can direct you as well. And, and I hope, Marshall, that by the time you come and ultimately depart from Atlanta and Marietta. Wow, such a memorable evening, not just because of the fact that I got to spend some time with like-minded people, but similar to you, when there is, a cause, there is a cause that people have real interest in, they come out and support it no matter what. And I use that as a setup because I think there are going to be a lot of people who would never fashion themselves as an adventure is person or perhaps some kind of even extreme athlete. We also have plenty of those people who tune in to this broadcast. As we've looked more closely at our listenership, it's not just marathoners or ultra marathoners. It's just not accomplished people who can claim 15 or 20 Peachtree Road Race finishes. It's people who are kind of creeping close to wanting to get more serious about their fitness routine, perhaps taking a stroll around the block one more time per week when they're sitting very idly at one or two times thus far. When you come in contact with somebody who is an aspiring athlete or somebody who we say is that person who would like to like to run or walk, how do you encourage them? How do you give that person something that he or she can take with them 
that comes from somebody who's done it, but is even better at relating to someone who hasn't. Yeah, I think it's, you know, what I try and impart to them, you know, just if they have some sort of fear that's holding them back to overcome that fear and not think about it too much. I mean, just put on a pair of shoes and go out and put one foot in front of the other, whether it's, you know, going a half a block or going out to the mailbox and turning around and coming back and then maybe aspiring to do a little bit more the next day. Um, but, you know, it's a very personal thing. Uh, you know, it pertains to all facets of life, whether, you know, you want to be a better person, be a better uh, husband or wife or, uh, you know, raise your your children, uh, you know, in a respectable manner, um, spend time with your grandkids. You know, there's a whole myriad and they sort of go hand in hand. So the benefit of staying healthy is that you can do a lot of these things that potentially you couldn't do otherwise. So just go out and don't don't overthink it. Just go out and do it. It's as simple as that. Well, what great advice. And D2, for us, such a recurring theme. And, and Marshall is on the far, far, far end of the caliber of athlete we've oftentimes had on this broadcast. But that message, just get started. Don't think too much about it, is an awesome and recurring theme for us and, and certainly for new listeners. If you go back and you listen to other episodes, you'll be like, wow, somebody who is as accomplished as what Marshall is, is telling me something that I can take seriously because somebody who just did their first 5K or signed up for the Peachtree Road Race for the first time seemed to suggest the same thing. And of course, Marshall, I have to ask you, I did notice a couple of weeks ago when Sandy Geisel, who sent me information, who is running as the event chair for your time here in October at the Strand Theater, you were born on July 4th. Have you ever done this little road race we have here in Atlanta known as the AJC Peachtree Road Race? You know, I have not. The only time that I've really run in Atlanta was when there was the 24-hour championships, and it was out at the public waterworks or something. It was like a two-mile loop, and I just went out and, you know, went round and round and round. I believe I finished in second second place, you know, 132 miles or something like that, 138 maybe. I'm not really sure. But um, that was the only time, and that was years and years ago. But, you know, I would like to mention, and you had um, just referred to it, you know, Sandy Geisel, the interesting thing is, is I'm going to, you know, go back and talk about the old eco challenges because I believe I met Sandy at the probably the Fiji adventure race. So that's where I know her from. And then, of course, you know, I've, I've known about her out in Death Valley doing some feats and things, too. So uh, her and the Geisel group, uh, real estate group, are the ones who are bringing me into town. And so she is doing it as a thank you to the community and then, as you had mentioned, to uh, raise money for the Strand Theater. So, yeah, I think it's a wonderful thing and, you know, she's a wonderful person. So, you know, I've got to throw that plug in for her. Well, you're absolutely right, Marshall. She is terrific. We were thrilled when she brought this to us. As you noted and as you know, she is a very accomplished and tremendous athlete herself. She has such a big heart for the community and for certain projects like this one. I know that you were together this past year in Death Valley for the Badwater 135. I know she was in your backyard for my last conversation with her. She didn't get a chance to see you when she was in Colorado a few weeks ago. But I know she's a special friend to all of us. Before we let you go, we got to talk about the Trans USA journey. This is my favorite. Now, we're, of course, biased towards the running, maybe even domestically. And when we think about that trip of yours that did spawn your book, and again, as a reminder, running on empty, run, don't just walk, run to go get that, running on empty by Marshall Ulrich, and this particular adventure of yours I know had added significance because it allowed you, it seems, to just really bathe in, not what was just going on physically, but also emotionally, maybe spiritually, and certainly mentally as the story comes to life on the pages of that book. So for everyone with more numbers to boot, 2008, 
over 3,000 miles, starting on the left coast in San Francisco, finishing in New York. Not even two months to complete that journey. In fact, 52 days was running an average of two plus marathons a day to cover that kind of distance in such a short period of time. So now, Marshall, there's your setup. I know you can't give us an indication of what happened in each state or on each day. I know when you're here in October, you'll allow us to go deeper with you on that journey. But as a way to give us a sense of what it's like to cross these great United States on foot, what comes to mind when you hear me remind you of that accomplishment? Well, you know, I will say this, uh, you know, the circumnavigation was the most dangerous. Uh, Mount Everest was probably the most technical thing that I've done, and it was mostly because of the uh, altitude. But the most difficult thing I ever did was run across the United States, and that is because what did you have forward to look forward to as you were going to bed? I'd, I'd think about, well, you know, I've got forward, fast forward to, you know, 58 miles I've got to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So it was just, you know, about the mind just kind of controlling yourself and making, convincing yourself, brainwashing yourself that you, anything less than, say, 50 55 or 60 miles per day was unacceptable. So it just, it's, it's, the mind is a very, very powerful thing. And what I will say too is I broke it down into three segments. The first thousand miles was about your body adjusting the aches and pains. The first 10 days was just all about aches and pains and, you know, lack of sleep and things like that. So it was adjusting. And then the next thousand miles was kind of the sweet spot where you'd adjusted mentally. You were kind of settling in. You were still kind of excited about it. You're making your way across the United States. You're over halfway at one point. And then the last, and I did most of it alone. I'd have people come out and run with me occasionally, but I'd always thought of myself as being, you know, this guy who was, you know, could go out and do it myself, and I didn't really need a lot of other people around me and so on and so forth. But the last thousand miles was all about mind control and just putting your mind to it. And there, the extreme loneliness and the realization that I needed other people. I desperately needed other people. So when people would come out and run with me, it was just like I, I was over the top. It was like heaven. So it it was it taught me a lot. It taught me how um, to connect with people and and hold those moments. Uh, you know, they're, they're precious. So it was it was an eye opener for me. Well, to hold those precious moments to admit, as I would like to think each of us would, that we do need others. We need other people in our life, not just to be the best we can be, but quite frankly just to get the most out of each and every single day. Marshall, once again, we are so, so excited about the fact that we're going to have you here. As a reminder for everyone, you're going to hear us talk about this a lot over the course of the next couple of episodes. Certainly, Big Peach Running Company, our newsletter, our social feeds will continuously suggest that you spend your evening of October 24th at the Strand Theater in the historic Marietta Square for journeys in extremes around the world. It'll be an evening with an extreme endurance athlete. He is Marshall Ulrich. Marshall, I will tell you that you inspire me. I know D2 feels the same. I am confident that our listeners are that way now. For those who knew you coming into this conversation, I'm sure it's only more so. For people who are getting to know you through this conversation, I bet they are going to want to learn more, and I know we all look forward to having you here in October, and here's our invitation so it's not a one and done. You come back next year for the 50th running of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. We'll make sure you get an entry, and we'll have one heck of a birthday party for you. How's that sound? Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. 
Well, thank you for spending this time with us. Can't wait to see you next month. In the meantime, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Do your feet hurt? Feel any discomfort in your joints or lower back when you run? Your shoes might be the root of the problem. Whatever your fitness level, your feet should be comfortable and your shoes shouldn't be the cause of an injury or keep you from achieving your fitness goals. Come into any of our seven Big Peach Running Company locations for a free three-step fit process, including a video gait analysis. Our professional fitters will help get you into shoes that fit so you can enjoy running, walking, or any activity that requires you to be on your feet. Our 100% satisfaction guarantee will give you peace of mind if your new shoes don't live up to your expectations. Simply return them. No problems, no hassles, no time limit. We want to make sure you're completely happy with your shoes so you can achieve your fitness goals. Visit Big Peach Running Company today. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. Thank you so very much for being on the backside and the home stretch of this episode, D2. What a real treasure that was. I cannot hardly wait to have Marshall here in our hometown. What a great evening. It's going to be on October 24th. At this point, my guess is people are buying tickets. They're going to the website. For those who need it, we will give it to you before we log off. We will give it to you on our show notes. But I have to ask you, what were your impressions? This was the first time that you had spoken with Marshall. You were so astute, including in our conversations with Marshall before we ever had the mic live about things like Eco Challenge and other ways that you are familiar with him and you're familiar with teams he has been around or been on. So what are just your general thoughts at this point now that that conversation has concluded? Well, I mean, you know, Marshall's got such a unique background. I mean, there's things that he has done that I, I can't even imagine doing but I, I definitely geeked out when he brought up the Eco Challenge because that's that was something that I was interested way back when. And, and as he mentioned, that was kind of like, you know, just to provide a little bit of background and history. And Marshall brought it up. But that was back when Mark Burnett, who has now created Survivor and The Apprentice and all these other reality-based shows, Mark Burnett started out with the Eco Challenge. And it, it used to air on um, Discovery Channel, and then it was on the USA Network. And it was this really big production and it was like a, you know maybe it wasn't the first reality tv but it was it, it was a precursor to survivor and i remember watching it with my friend you know and we were roommates and we just really got into it and we're like i want to do that i want to be there i want to be on those courses i want to experiment and 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 just go out in the wilderness and try all this stuff and of course you know that was what first got me into trail running. That's what first got me into this adventure racing. And I did experiment and we did do some adventure racing. We ended up getting a bunch of uh, our friends together. We managed doing, uh, putting together like three different co-ed teams when I was living in Florida and doing at the time what was called the sprint, you know, eco type of races, which were still four hours long, you know, three to four hours long. And, you know, at the time you could do either all male or female co-ed. And I actually, towards the end, decided that I'm going to try this solo, you know, and really kind of experiment. So for me, that was my first intro in a trail running. That's why I really wanted to get into trail running and, and, and maybe ultra distances. And eventually, you know, the Eco Challenge kind of went away and the whole adventure series kind of went away. So it's interesting that Marshall brought that up because it just brought up so many memories that I'm just getting so excited about and I get a little bit giddy because it was just a great experience, a great bonding and, uh, you know, experience with, with these friends that I still have to this day. Um, there's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of things that you, that you go through as far as trust and just, you know, you have these relationships where you kind of like, you know, you just kind of, you know, butt heads a little bit, but in the end you kind of work through things and that's all paid off, I think, for me over the years. And, uh, and to hear that the Eco Challenge may come back, that there's a rumor out there that, you know, there may be another Eco Challenge and that Marshall will be there all of a sudden, I'm like, Oh, I'm, 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 I, you know, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to follow. Now I've got like someone I know that's part of it. And when that gets announced, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm betting on Marshall and his team. That, that would be a solid bet for sure. And obviously with the vacation you have coming up that you alluded to in our intro, what an awesome send off he gave you somewhat unexpectedly. And at the same time, I know you'll have stories when you return. I cannot wait to hear more stories from Marshall when he gets here 
for those who have not yet heard this. You somehow forwarded through our intro. You missed this information October 24th at 7 p.m. at the Strand Theater in historic downtown Marietta on the square. Tickets are only $20 to this particular activity this evening. It's going to be awesome. All of the proceeds go to the preservation and restoration of this great venue. Again, the Strand Theater. The way that you would acquire tickets, eventbrite.com. That's E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E.com. Just put in Marshall and it'll pop up. You'll have the ability to purchase your tickets right there. They are very limited. You're going to want to do that right now. Do not delay. For those of you who may be willing to make an added donation, you'll have the opportunity to do so for The Strand. And then we talked about Marshall's book, Running on Empty. I think they've linked that in to what you can learn more about and perhaps have in your mailbox before October 24th through that same website. Do not walk, do not do anything, but put your best pace on for getting these tickets. We will see you there. D2, one thing that I have to say I connected with. He's 67 now. Mm -hmm. That's still a little bit older than I am, but (laughs) it's not that much older. And the fact that he's still doing this and so passionate about it, we all get our inspiration from somewhere. You mentioned the impact that Eco Challenge had on you. We all, in my opinion, have a responsibility to inspire others. But my goodness, at 67, to be that full of life, how cool is that? That's very cool. I mean, I think, you know, for me, you know, I, I don't ever think that, you know, at my age, because I got started running and I didn't grow up running, I'm not a professional, you know, athlete in any sense. I'm just an average runner who's out there. I think for me, the goal is to continue being active for as long as I can. And he shows that's exactly what happens. Exactly. And there are others who are continuing to do it. There are people who are going to do it far better than what you and I can, whether it's at today's age or tomorrow's. But my goodness, we should all aspire to exactly what you just outlined for yeah. us. So, I mean, if, if, you know, if I can do this for another 20, 30 years and be active in some way and still be able to go out running on the roads or going out on trails or doing these type of adventures and travel... To me, I'm like, that's a life well lived. (laughs) You know what? We also have another friend that I'm going to go ahead and drag into this. Another person we've had on this podcast who's doing a pretty good job of defying what would be conventional thinking around age, our boy, Bernard Lagat. Yep. And I mean, I I say he's a friend of the Run ATL podcast. And even though it was a year ago when we featured him. Was it it that long ago? It was, well, a little over a year ago. It was last year right around the Peachtree Road Race. And we, we did uh, uh, feature him again and rebroadcast in, you know, uh, not too long ago. This year's winner this year. yep. of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Right. So here's someone who's, you know, also mid-40s and, uh, you know, uh, just won the, the, you know, the, the men's Peachtree Road Race. And then to have made the announcement just within a couple of weeks ago that he's going to the marathon distance. And he's going to make his debut at the marathon distance at the New York City Marathon. So is it fair to say Marshall Ulrich, Bernard Lagat, and Dave Martinez just getting better with age? <laughs> is that what we can absolutely say with certainty? Uh, you know, I would never have thought that my name would be, you know, <laughs> in the same sentence with, with those two gentlemen. Well, that's what I'm here for. And one thing that I will tell you that you've done and exposed to me very recently that helps even People like me who are aging seemingly very quickly right before your very eyes is no matter how many days pass, you can always, always, always count on looking good. You just shot at the recently completed Big Peach Sizzler all of what we will have for our new fall collection of Run ATL. It is out and about and in all of our stores at this point. That's right. Yep. You can get them. Uh, So... All of our uh, new long sleeves, they have they have started to arrive. We will continue to get more stuff. I've gotten a little bit of a sneak preview. We will have the hoodies like we did last year. We'll have the quarter zips. And then down the road, I think closer to the end of October, maybe even November, we're going to have full zips for men and women. So we do have some new styles that are coming in for the run ATL, which I'm excited about. 
That is awesome. And for those of you who think D2's talents are confined to audio alone, he did something very cool at this year's Big Peach Sizzler 10K and 5K. He went and found participants, ended up giving them a somewhat unexpected gift. And we traditionally use team members of ours for all the shots you take for our website and other places we publish the Run ATL collections. And you put our guests and those participants in those particular products. They are now going to be featured in all of those places where you feature that collection, show everyone how good it looks. You gave them what they were ultimately photographed and they were able to take it home with them. That's right. That was super cool. So please go check that out. You'll be able to see the entire collection at bigpeachrunningco.com. You'll see it on our social feed. Certainly you'll be able to see the products themselves in our stores. They are hot for these cooler temperatures. What also is hot is this listenership that comes back week in and week out. The ratings that we're getting, the amount of followership that we have is awesome. We thank you so very much. We will not abandon you. D2 is on his way out of town on vacation and we have convinced him he must come back. He will. So in just two weeks, we'll be back with the next episode of The Run ATL podcast. In the meantime, as we always say, as we certainly mean, may your best miles be those covered on. Your-